from Neon Hum Media. This is Dirt Cheap. I'm Jeffrey Golden. And I'm Amanda Meadows. And we're reading Murder in the Glass Room by Edwin Rolfe and Lester Fuller. Amanda, do you recall what happened in the bonkers last chapter, chapter eight in Murder in the Glass Room? You may recall that uh, Phil and Shelley had a bit of an inexplicable night together. Chapter eight was one of those fever dreams <laughs> where you're just not even sure if those events should even be allowed to influence what happens next. Because it's just like, how does this even fit? He barges into her house. Yep. She kind of knows him, but not really. She should know just enough to know to get the fuck away from him. Absolutely. But uh, instead lets him cake up her kitchen with mud. Yeah. Then she serves him a drink and lets him sit on her furniture. And they boink. And... She boinks him with, like, a weird plastered smile on her face. Yeah. She's a reporter. She's a reporter. But she seems to be super cavalier about the facts that she knows (laughs) and who she shares them with. Yeah. She was someone who had, like, a romance column. Right. And then kind of gets promoted into, like, a deep investigative report. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Ann Landers, like, Pulitzer Prize-winning undercover journalist. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, oh, okay, all right. All right. And away we go. Chapter 9. I didn't relish the half-hour walk ahead of me to Jeremy Street. I pulled my hat down over my forehead and started to turn my collar up. But then I remembered that in the movies, suspicious-looking characters always turned up their collars, so I folded mine back in place and started to walk downhill through the empty streets. There was just a vague streak of morning gray in the sky towards the east as I rounded the corner of Jeremy. I entered the courtyard, feeling safe at last, and reached into my pants pocket for my new key. In a way, I was glad that Shea Adele wouldn't open until 10. It would give me a little time for sleep. The key turned easily in the lock. As I closed the door, I heaved a deep sigh of relief and automatically started to feel around on the strange wall for the light switch. Just as I found it, I felt something hard against my back, and a queer, husky voice said, Don't move. Queer husky voice. Queer husky voice. Queer husky. Fun fun descriptor. I mean, there's, it's just very little variation. (laughs) They managed to like just keep it down to like two adjectives. (laughs) Keep it down to two adjectives and move on. That's right. We have brown and chubby. Yes. We have big and warm. Yep. And now we've got queer and husky. Oh, yeah. This is great. I can't wait to add to this list. And a queer husky voice said, Don't move. But my finger had already hit the switch. And before the word move was out, the ceiling bulb flooded the room with its light. I froze with my finger still on the switch. Lift them, the voice said. I raised my hands about shoulder high. Higher! I brought them all the way up. I felt hands poking around behind me and at my sides. 
you needn't worry, I said, trying to keep my voice as calm as I could make it. I haven't got one. All the time I kept wondering, how could the cops have got on my trail so soon? They hadn't followed me from the towers. I was sure of that. They'd been here when I arrived. I heard a soft, wheezy breathing behind me. Soft and wheezy. Soft and wheezy. Cha-ching. Add it to the list. Does he think that these are cops? I guess he does. He says that they're cops. It's weird if he's just getting mugged. Like, he doesn't look muggable. You think that these are cops. You agree with Phil. If I were in his state of paranoia. Yes. I don't see, like, a good reason to not think they're cops. Now, you've read... Yeah, I've read beyond me. So, I've read beyond. You know, so, well, I won't say. I'm talking out my ass because I'm just here. Yes, I've read a chapter. Drinking it in. <laughs> right, you are drinking it in. Um, yeah, well, let's see if it's a. We'll see if it's a cop. Hmm. I heard a soft, wheezy breathing behind me, and then the voice said, "Keep them up there." And then, now go over to the bed and sit down. I did as I was told. A medium-sized, very dark man with a long, thin nose that hooked over a razor-thin mustache rocked gently on widespread feet near the door, an army automatic clutched his hand. He might have been a Portuguese or an Armenian. He was that olive dark. I'd never seen him before. What's it all about? I asked, trying to sound tough. He scowled at me. A little one-breath cough bubbled phlegm in the back of his throat. The room was a mess. Every drawer was on the floor. The carpets had been ripped up, the mattress slashed. Take everything out, he said in a low, hoarse voice that was almost a whisper. You didn't have to be a doctor to know he had TB or something very like it. By the way, just like, I guess like how common it was to just have tuberculosis. Right. You know? That anybody would just be, oh yeah, that's a, that's a, that's Yeah, people are just like walking around muffling their disgusting coughs that were spewing <laughs> bacteria stuff everywhere. It's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's got it. He sounds yeah. like a TB man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people love to romanticize this time. Yeah, there's a lot about it that would disgust us probably if we went back to it. We'd be like, oh God. What a nightmare. Yeah, this is. I'm not interested in the smells. Mm-mm. I'm not interested in the smells of any other time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Even now, even some places now, I don't want to smell. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, not to kick a city while it's down, but yeah. New York City has traditionally smelled bad. <laughs> This is not a. This is not news. I'm not like. This is not a hot take. Really, it's just people know. If you go to New York, it's you're the smelly city. It's a smelly city. The streets smell. I don't like to smell it. You know, I like other aspects of New York. You know. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, we won't be smelling New York anytime soon. So it's not like our smells today are great. So imagine going back in time. Exactly. (laughs) Right. It was worse. Take what out? I asked. He fingered his gun nervously. I could see that the safety was off. Your pockets, all of them, he growled. Again, I did as I was told. Now get up and go over to that wall. I got up and went. He moved over to the bed and began looking at my things. He went through my small roll of bills and chucked it aside. 
He looked at all the old letters I carried around with me, opening and emptying them. He paid no attention to the small change, but he picked up all the keys and slipped them into his pocket. Where's your wallet? Wallet? I repeated. I hadn't noticed that it wasn't on the bed with the other things. My arms involuntarily disobeyed his orders to stay up. I felt in all my pockets, thinking that he'd missed it. Then I realized that if it was on me, I was helping him. So my hands went up in the air again. He had been watching me. Where is it? He asked. I don't know, I said. I really didn't. I thought in a panic. The 50,000 was in it. The 50,000 that represented the last 15 years of my life, and maybe the next 15 as well. Where could it be? Oh, my God. He lost a wallet with a fortune in it. I mean, maybe it's at Shelly's. If it's not at Shelly's, wow. <laughs> like, wow. It's just such a nightmare. Also, now I'm realizing, yeah, these probably aren't cops uh, because <laughs> this is very strange behavior. The way they searched his apartment feels cop-like, but it's probably just because, uh, you know, everybody just came from the war. But right. uh, yeah, you think it's uh, Professor Stanley's henchmen or mm. something? Is it Professor Stanley's henchmen? I promised you last week that it was some that somebody that we knew was going to make a return. Oh. Let's let's see if maybe that person reveals themselves. Interesting. Mm. Be right back. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back with Phil in his apartment, wondering where he left his wallet with a cool $50,000 in it. Where could it be? My mind raced over the day. There were a hundred places where I could have lost it, or where it could have been picked off me. Had anyone in the bus been near enough to me to lift it? Or the burly gent in the movie theater? Or had I dropped it at Rosa's? Or maybe when I'd fallen to the earth in back of the towers? Or Shelley's place? Where is it? He asked again. I don't know, I repeated. He didn't believe me. He walked over toward me, the ugly automatic shaking a little, but still steady enough to clip me. Holding the gun in his right hand, he searched me again with his left. I felt his fingers moving around inside my breast pocket, in my side pockets, in my pants pockets, all over. He did a thorough job, even making sure that there was nothing hidden in the linings. When he was satisfied that it wasn't there, he started to back away. Take off your shoes, he said. My head was so full of wondering where the wallet might be that I'd almost forgotten that he was standing there with a gun pointed at me. He came closer. Take off your shoes, he whispered fiercely, 
and jammed the tip of the gun into my belly. Where was the wallet? I worried as I bent down to untie the laces. Suddenly, I sensed my chance. The Armenian was almost over me. The Armenian would be a great name for a Showtime drama. Yeah, it feels like maybe like a show that's like probably already had nine seasons on Showtime. <laughs> yeah. And I just haven't been aware of it. No, but critics like <laughs> yeah. it in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you it's know. Good reviews. He doesn't really know anything about this man, but he just started calling him the Armenian in his head. Yeah, I like that he had to choose between uh, what was it? He was like, know. he said it was either. Portuguese or Armenian, and he was just like, I'm Those going. Those are two very distant <laughs> countries. I know, and he chose Armenian. He, he made a definitive choice on Armenian. Suddenly, I sensed my chance. The Armenian was almost over me. I sprang upward, pushing with my arms and shoulders, using the leverage power I had in my legs as I straightened up from the couch. I hit him as hard as I could. A surprised grunt came out of him as he stumbled back, trying to keep his balance. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the gun fly out of his hand in a lazy, tumbling arc. It hit the floor halfway across the room. As he fell, he crashed into a table, bringing down a glass-shaded lamp with him. It shattered on the floor. We both jumped for the gun at the same time and landed together with him underneath. He was as fast as a snake. Before I knew it, he grabbed the gun. But this time, his fingers closed around the barrel. He was in no position to shoot, but he squirmed under me, jabbing into my belly with his free hand and trying to hit at my head with the butt of the automatic. Our faces were close enough together so that I could feel his hot, grasping breath on my cheek and smell his acid-sour sweat. The struggle was almost motionless. I had his arms pinned down, and it was a matter of whose strength would give out first. I was expecting this kind of description in the last chapter with Shelley. Right? <laughs> we did not get it. The authors are clearly capable of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is some, like, Greco-Roman shit going down. <laughs> and it's, like, very detailed. Bit my nose buried in his dark olive skin. <laughs> Huffed his sweat <laughs> glands. <laughs> I huffed his sweaty skin into mine, licked his oh, he's so arms. dark and so Armenian. I it's licked just, his hairy arms. <laughs> just why is this the first like real fight scene in the book? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is, right? Because yeah. like there are a lot of like tiny altercations that happen, but this is like an actual like row. Yeah. This is the kind of scene. I would have expected towards the beginning of the book in some way. Right. Like. To sort of set the tone and be like, look, this is a tough guy. Right. This is a tough guy who does tough stuff. But no. (laughs) We didn't get that. Instead, we got the furniture talk. And we got, uh, you know, (laughs) hanging on the stoop with my friend Murdoch. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my wife, she's a better negotiator than I am. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's like there's either the like kind of like D-level taming of the shrew fan fiction with him and his (laughs) wife. And then there's, yeah, Stoop Talk with Murdoch. (laughs) Stoop Talk with Murdoch. (laughs) That public access show. Yeah. I. You know, it's interesting. Now that you mention it, there's really no reason to believe that he is good at fighting. Exactly. Based on what we have heard at this point from him. But here we are in a fight sequence where he is, I mean, he's not winning 
But he's he's not losing. He's not losing yet, as far yeah. as I can tell. It's right. in struggle mode, right. which is, you know, feels appropriate yeah. for just like, Phil lives in struggle mode forever. If, at the very least, tonally, they got that like Phil is a struggler in general in his life. So maybe even in a fight situation, he could struggle. Yes. You know, <laughs> fumble and struggle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We're all yeah, everyone's bumbling their way through this book. That's right. <laughs> the authors, the 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 protagonists, <laughs> the readers, everyone. I can when I close my eyes, I can picture the characters shrugging at me. <laughs> <laughs> I had his arms pinned down, and it was a matter of whose strength would give out first. He heaved and squirmed until red splotches burned in his cheeks, until my arms felt drained of all power. My numbed fingers must have relaxed a little, for suddenly his hand was free and the gun cracked across my nose. I fell back, tasting warm blood. He got to his feet, coughing a little. I jumped at him again, forcing him down to the grass carpet. I managed to get my hand on his wrist and worked it up towards his fingers, which were still clutched around the gun. I twisted his arm with all the strength I had. There was a funny little crack, not much louder than a matchstick snapping, and his arm went slack. He cried in that strange whisper of his, like a horse chihuahua. I reached for the gun, then I heard another voice behind me. Get up and keep your hands high. I rose to my feet swaying and wondered what kind of a game this was anyway. It was Willie. Wow. Willie's back, and he brought company because he is mad at Phil. It it makes sense. I mean, it does. Definitely makes sense. This does feel like something that would have come back to bite him in the ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he definitely didn't leave things well with Willie. Yeah, it's uh, that's also another thing, like, along with fugitiving, he could have also, like, done a little bit of repair in his own affairs. Sure. You know, so that he had more allies. I feel like, (laughs) though, that's a lost cause. Because, Mm. like, if we're talking about things he could do after he is, like, the number one suspect of his wife's murder, I feel like patching up old relationships is going to be very difficult in yeah, that Yeah, you're right. It's a bad time to start the 12-step program. <laughs> yeah, it's like, listen, <laughs> first of all, just apropos of nothing, I want to be, I want to apologize for how I treated you. It's like, oh, really, does this have anything to do with the fact that you are the number one suspect in your wife's murder? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 this is just me just trying to, you know, bury the hatchet and be a good guy. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, because it's, it's awfully interesting timing, would you say? <laughs> well, we, we won't focus on that, but let's talk about something you might do for me. <laughs> this would be a really good time You're for you to do something. You're a good friend of mine, and I need a real good friend favor. <laughs> yeah, I need a big old fave, if you don't mind. Yeah. this Willie's back. Be right back. Willie's back. Should we see what Willie wants? I cannot wait. Oh, boy. The dark one started to cough, a (laughs) racking cough that came from deep inside him. Willie looked at him in disgust. Did you find it, Mino? The one called Mino was doubled over. He tried to answer, but all he could do was gasp and shake his head. (coughs) 
What did you do with it? Willie asked me. With what? Quit stalling with the 50 grand. Willie looked crazy, but the gun in his hand gave him a stature he'd never had before. He seemed almost a man. (laughs) I love that once he figured out who he was, he's like, oh, now I have to pretend not to be threatened by him anymore. (laughs) I also like the idea that for Willie, like Willie is like a Popeye, but yes. his spinach is a gun. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a powerful man now. I've got a gun. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, uh, you know, the meme, uh, the anime meme with the butterfly, but like yeah. <laughs> holding a gun. Is this self actualizing? <laughs> is this manhood? <laughs> <laughs> Yet he didn't look like Willie. He might have been a twin brother, a reflection in the mirror that seemed somehow to distort the whining, wheedling Willie into a mad image. But mad or not, the question was how he had found out about the money, and more importantly, about Bungalow D. Which one is more important, the $50,000 or where he was hiding? I think they're both important. They seem both important, but, like, the money, more important? I mean, it is a fortune. Like, how much was the rent on that shack? Like, $100? I mean, $50? I mean, I guess Willie, without knowing about the $50,000, could have snuck into Bungalow D and held him up at gunpoint. But, you know, he would just get that lousy grand that he was after in the first chapter, you know? Right. I think the 50K is more more important, you could track him down to wherever he is. You have a good reason to track him down, $50,000. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. I like I like the idea of multiple people being after Phil. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. I hope like another couple people show up too. <laughs> and how had he got himself mixed up with a shyster gunman like Mino? Or was this a fragment of a larger pattern, the shape of which I had so far been unable to grasp? Give, Willie yelled. Who sent you? I asked. Jerry? I'm doing the asking, he shouted. You just answer. It's in my wallet, I said. His eyes roved over the cot. Where is it? I shrugged. His gun began to shake. I want to know where it is. I don't know, I said. He's like, it's like such so Looney Tunesy. It's like, it really is. It's like, give me the money, give me the money. I don't know where the money is. <laughs> it's like, where is it, rabbit? You got it somewhere in this rabbit hole. <laughs> you go with tarnations. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. A tiny muscle under his eye began to twitch. Don't give me that stuff. He cried in a voice that sounded like a quivering E-string. Don't give me that stuff. What do you think I am? A dumbbell? A queen, maybe? A snotty kid? A queen. Yeah, what does that mean, then? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, like prissy? I don't know. Yeah. Being high maintenance? The old Willie was coming back. He was losing his nerve. He'd forgotten about the power of his gun. Then the pounding on the door came. Voices outside yelled, Open up, what's going on in there? The knob turned as somebody tried to force the door. Mino stopped coughing long enough to choke out. Let's get out of here. The back way, Willie said, glaring at me. 
there was so much hatred on his face that I still don't know why he didn't pull the trigger. As the two started to back out of the room, keeping me covered all the time, somebody outside yelled, Let's call the cops! I recognized it as the voice of the kid who had been so smart about the census business. It's a census kid comes to the rescue. Census kid. He's the only kid who seems to like see things for what they are. Yeah. But he's also easily swayed. (laughs) In this case, he is willing to do something about it. Yeah, I wonder. Call the cops, which is, I guess, a standard response to hearing somebody being (laughs) threatened and killed in in an apartment next to yours. Yeah, yeah. If you hear like some kind of crazy like home invasion style like assault thing happening (laughs) nearby you're like yeah maybe i i guess i should call the authorities as soon as the two were gone i started scooping up my things from the bed but i didn't get a chance to do more than stuff my money in my pocket before the door opened there stood mrs rankin key in hand surrounded by most of the other tenants of la ferentz court They flowed into the room and started questioning me. Mrs. Rankin wailed, Look at the place! Just look at the place! One man dressed in nothing but pajama trousers and carpet slippers asked, Hold up? I nodded. They wanted all the details. Did they have guns? How many were there? Did they hurt you? I told them the unimportant parts of the story. The police will be here soon, Mrs. McManus assured me. That's fine, I said. Sure, it was fine. Just fine, I thought. I could just wait there and welcome them with open arms. My nose was still bleeding, so I excused myself, went into the bathroom, and locked the door. I let the water run in the basin, got up on the toilet seat, opened the window as quietly as I could, and loosened the screen. Holding it away from the window, I jumped to the ground. And that is chapter nine of Murder in the Glass Room. What uh, What did you think? Oh, I mean. Action packed. There's a lot of action. This chapter really pushes the plot forward in a few ways, but it's all, and it's also like trying to be tough, but it also feels like all of a sudden, am I reading a different book <laughs> where like action happens? Yeah. <laughs> but then at the end, but then by the end, it's exactly where I'm like, oh, okay, no, this is the same book. I feel it's a coward and he's going <laughs> to, he's going to wipe the blood off of his nose and, and jump leave. out of a bathroom window. Absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely like a yin and yang in this book of like, bonkers stuff to like classic noir stuff. I feel like this chapter leaned more towards classic noir stuff. Right. Whereas chapter eight represented bonkers. Yeah, it was full bonkers. It was full bonkers. Um, well, things go back to bonkers. Yay. In the next chapter. I mean, this was thoroughly bonkers, but in just a different way. In a more of in more of a period way of just like, well, yeah. that's how things were, kind of. That's how yeah. people talked and that's exactly how that with the exception of our just favorite philisms like <laughs> queer and squeaky or horse and <laughs> horse and chubby and <laughs> just like the various two adjective character combinations you could come up with or see. Seemingly endless. I feel like this is a new 
board game like Scrabble or Boggle or something. <laughs> you just put two adjectives together <laughs> and let let fly. It's the big and warm game. <laughs> Amanda, I got news for you. You know how there are aspects of Rosa that are kind of a weird mystery to us? Yes, a lot of them. <laughs> One of those is going to be explicitly answer to the next chapter. Oh my god. Your jaw might drop a little bit. I'm wow. <laughs> That's next time on Dirt Cheap, which will be next year. That's right. We're taking a break for the holidays. Yeah. See jingle you- jangle. Jingle jangle baby. <laughs> See you in 2021. See you next year. Dirt Cheap is a Neon Hum podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Golden. And me, Amanda Meadows. Our producer is Carla Green. Associate producer is Chloe Chobel. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Editing by Vikram Patel. Original music by Chris Katinas. Additional tracks you hear on this episode are from Epidemic Sound. Our engineer and sound effects guy is Scott Somerville. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Dirt Cheap Pod and Instagram at Dirt Cheap Books. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode for another exciting chapter of Murder in the Glass Room. Bye.